The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with your host, Ty Maynard. We're the starting point for sales professionals and business owners who want to gain more clients, score higher margins, and not be left behind in sales and business. Now, here's Ty Maynard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something. I'm your host, Ty Maynard, and we're going to continue in our quest to help you be the best in sales, business, and life. And we're going to continue every week to bring you practical ideas, tips, techniques, and tonight even tactics to assist you in growing your sales, growing your business, making more money, keeping more money in your pocket. And we're going to continue tonight with the third show, I guess you would call it a trilogy. The show tonight is on negotiations, and the topic is, the title is, Ninja Strategies for Seven Deadly Buyer Negotiation Tactics. And as we've said before, you're always selling. Everybody sells. Okay, I don't care if you're a teacher or a parent, an attorney, a pastor, uh, a salesperson. Now, obviously, you're selling or a business owner. You're selling you're all the time. And, and as well, you're negotiating all the time. Now, the thing is, especially if it's business to business or even business to consumer or consumer to business, you may be negotiating with someone who is highly skilled. For their company, okay, there's some of these major corporations, they will spend tens of thousands, it's really an investment, they will invest tens of thousands of dollars in the skill sets of their procurement officers, their purchasing agents or, or, or buyers, as we call them, to hone this, their negotiation skills because they understand if they can get an extra point or a half a point from each one of their vendors, that can save their company hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, or based on the size of the company, billions of dollars by being able to capture or either erode your margins by just a half a point to a point. So they're extremely skillful. And as I mentioned in my negotiation workshops, I'll just ask my audience. I normally have 20 people in a workshop. I say, how many of you, how long have you been in sales? And, you know, the, they may say 20 years, 10 years, 35 years. And then I'll ask the next question. I say, well, how many of you have taken some type of negotiation course? And maybe one or two people may raise their hands. So here's something that they need to do and they need to do well, but they're deficient because they haven't invested the time to get better at it. And I, I do coaching with business owners, and I was talking to a business owner earlier this week, and we were talking about the topic of, of going higher up in organizations. And he said, well, you know, I guess until you started coaching me and I started listening to your show more, um, I just was afraid 
there was a fear of going to the president or CEO of a company. And I said to him, I said, but, you know, you you served in the military, right? And uh, he said, yeah. I said, but you were over in Afghanistan. You were in Iraq. I mean, your life was literally in danger. Uh, I'm sure a number of times. Am I correct? He said, yeah, absolutely. I said, so why are you fearful about going to talk to someone at a high level in an organization? I mean, when you have bullets flying at you, uh, IEDs and, and rocket propelled grenades, he said, because I was trained to deal with those things. He said, we were trained to the point where if we heard an alarm, your, your muscle memory kicked in. If someone shot at you, if someone yelled a command, your muscle memory, you didn't think about it. You already knew what to do. Therefore, you leaped into action. There was no thought involved with it. He said, so that eliminated my fear over there. And so it, that, that helped me understand that's the exact same thing that we need if we're going to be proficient in anything. We have to get to a level of, of skill and practice and education to the point where muscle memory kicks in and you don't have to think about it. So that's our goal on the show. We want, you, we want to provide you with insight and information that can help you, but it's only going to work if you apply it. It's only going to work if you take it further than what you just hear here, here on the show and even take additional courses to, to hone your skills. So we're going to provide awareness and knowledge, but you have to go out and apply it. So we're going to continue uh, to talk about negotiations. And there are two shows prior to this that this show is building upon. So you need to go check those out. The one show, I believe, was in February. It was um, Tough Negotiations Don't Last, But Good Negotiators Do. And I believe there was another one in March. Uh when good negotiations go bad. So primarily today we're going to continue. We're going to talk about some of the counterproductive things that can happen in negotiations that can cause you to panic and do things unnecessary that may hurt your commissions, that may hurt your margins or your profitability. Um, and I want to share a, a, a study with you first. This was done by... Harvard School of Business, and as I've mentioned in the past shows, I've taken dozens of negotiation courses. I'm, I'm certified to facilitate professional sales negotiations. I've developed two courses of my own, but this study I found really interesting, and basically Harvard did a study, a case study, and they had two sales professionals that were going to be negotiating in a role play, and they told sales professional A, they said, okay, you're going to be negotiating with an extremely skilled buyer. He's one of the best in the industry, and he normally gets his way. And by the way, your product is a run-of-the-mill product. It's, it's, a, it's really kind of lackluster, and you should just be happy to get the sale. Do whatever you have to to get the sale, even if you almost have to give it away. Do it. That's sales professional A. And then sales professional B, they told this person, listen, you have a product that everybody wants. Your product is the hottest on the market and everyone expects to pay full price for it, really, because it is so valuable 
to organizations. Now, you're going to be negotiating with uh, a buyer who's really new, uh, really kind of green and not as savvy as many. And they already know they should pay, uh, if not list price, pretty close to list price for your product because it is so valuable. So go in there and negotiate, you stud. Now, what was interesting, based on the expectations that they set, the outcomes were completely different. Okay, sales professional A, he went into the negotiations thinking he was going to lose. He was going to get beat up. And based on his expectations, he was right. Uh, His the point, the price point he negotiated was extremely low. I mean, it was rock bottom. All right. That was sales professional A, because that's what he expected. Sales professional B, because he thought he had something that was more priceless than gold that because of his expectation in his negotiations, he got right at list price for his product. It was the exact same product they both had, but their belief system was completely different. So what I want you to gain from that exercise that Harvard did was those with higher aspiration levels achieve higher results. I don't care what it is in life, in negotiations, in business, relationships, those with higher aspiration levels achieve higher results. The other thing I want to point out about this was what you believe affects the level you set. If you've had people beating on you and and getting you to believe that your product is a commodity, which, by the way, that is the job of a buyer, (laughs) to make you feel like they can walk down the street 12 times and get what you have and be happier. All right? So what you believe affects the level you set. And also, we base our aspiration levels on past performance. So if you have been winning recently, you base your aspiration level on that. If you've been losing a lot recently, you feel kind of beat down. And there's a, there's a scripture in the Bible, and, it's, uh, and we've all heard of the patience of Job. Job said something that was profound in the Bible. He said, the thing I feared has come upon me. The thing that I feared has come upon me. Whatever you fear, we kind of cause it to happen based on our belief. So immediate past failures have a tendency to lower our aspiration level. If you've been losing recently, you've been on a losing streak, you almost expect to lose again. Now, the other key is this. Immediate past successes raise our aspiration levels. I had uh, one gentleman that I trained, and he was doing extremely well. And I may have told this story before. If I have, just bear with me. And he was doing extremely well, so well that he felt like he was on a streak. And his boss hadn't seen him in the office for like three or four days, but they saw orders where he would leave orders for the the designers or the processors to process the order. So finally his boss called him and said, hey, Greg, uh, everything okay? He said, yeah, everything's great. He said, well, we haven't seen you in the office recently. What's going on? And he said, hey, I am on a roll. He said, I have to stay out here in the field while this, while this is on me. So it's, it, apparently he thought he had some type of success fungus. 
and it was on him. And before it wore off, he needed to close as much business as he possibly could. But the key is this. Think about this for a second. What you believe and aspire to has an effect on other people with whom you are dealing. The people picked up on his confidence. And the thing is this. People are naturally attracted to confidence. If we sense confidence in someone, that's an attractive thing. We want to be around them. We want to do business with them. We respect them more. All right? We respect them. So, and at the same time, if you've been beat down by life and you don't feel you're worthy, that will come across. It will come across in your posture. It'll come across in the words you use. You'll use words like, hopefully. You'll use words words like, I'll try. I'll attempt to. Maybe. Possibly. And you don't even realize you're projecting those things. But the question is, I think you already know the answer. Who controls your aspiration level? The answer is simple. You control your aspiration level. You control your expectation level. No one else. Even if you've had a several bad days back to back, the good news is tomorrow is a new day. Tomorrow is a new day and you can start fresh. Okay, so I thought that was a very interesting case study that I want to share with you. And hopefully you glean some things about it and and you'll think about it past uh, this particular radio show. So I want to talk to you about team negotiations. Well, first of all, I want to talk about some counterproductive behaviors I have seen and in my studies I know of that other the other party, the OP, the other party may do to take you off of your game. We call them counterproductive behaviors. Okay? And one of the things that they may do is give you unrealistic deadlines. They'll tell you, listen, we need this proposal back uh, by today is Thursday. We need this proposal back by Monday morning. Now, the goal is this, to get you running and jumping through hurdles to the point where you don't have time to think things through very well. And the chances are you're going to make some mistakes. If we try to do things too quickly, we are going to make mistakes. All right. So in that case, don't go with that. Tell them that that deadline is unrealistic. You would rather do things right versus just fast. And in order to do things correctly and give them the best proposal, you need to be able to have until Wednesday or Thursday, whatever is reasonable in order to to handle that. And we're going to come back and we're going to continue to talk about how to recognize counterproductive behaviors that's namely designed to throw you off of your game. And then we're also going to talk about seven deadly buyer tactics. This is always the fastest hour of the week, and, and I'm going to do my best to get through all seven of the deadly tactics. All right? So it's time for us to take a short break. This is Ty Maynard, and you're listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something on the Voice America Business Channel. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. 
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Wealth Solutions for the 99% is a weekly talk show focused on helping you develop and execute a game plan to build wealth. Your host, Paul LaJoy, who built a $50 million-plus company in less than five years, believes it's impossible to be poor in America, and he'll show you why with his innovative strategies. The show is upbeat, fun, and informative. Tune in every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. Are you a business innovator, or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something. If you want to reach Ty Maynard or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can send an email to Ty at tymaynergroup.com. That's T-Y-E at T-Y-E-M-A-N-E-R group.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with Ty Maynard. And by the way, I am your host, Ty Maynard. And we're back on the topic of negotiations. And uh, again, if you haven't listened to the two shows on negotiations prior to this one, I really encourage you to go do so. All right, because I think they'll help give you some insight because we're getting into more the more strategic side and the more advanced side with this particular show we're talking about counterproductive behaviors uh, as well as the seven deadly buyer tactics. Uh, there's a lot of information I'm giving. I'm going to try to get it all done in this, if, in this show, and if, if not, we're going to have to uh, continue in another show. We were just talking about one of the counterproductive behaviors, which is unrealistic deadlines. Okay, We talked about how to handle that. You don't do anything that's unrealistic that's, unrealistic, that's going to put you up under the gun and cause you to make mistakes. That could be to your detriment, to your disadvantage. Uh, the other one is called an extreme initial demand. This is something that uh, someone may use to throw you off base right up front. Okay. Uh, for example, they may say, hey, I, on your widget, I need you to give me that widget at 85% off. And that's, that, that's probably ridiculous. So if someone gives you an extreme initial demand, you do not even counter it. <laughs> because if you counter it, you legitimize the demand. Okay? Don't say, well, I can't give you 85 off, but I can give you, and you're always going to start high because they started high. I can't give you 85 off, but I can give you 68. That's still probably ridiculous. All right? So 
anytime someone gives you an extreme initial demand, I would, I might say something like, you know, I, I, I would like to get that also on the product. Now, on a more serious note, what are you looking for? So don't legitimize it. Okay. All right. And then, uh, another counterproductive behavior is they will continually bring up new concerns. As soon as you solve one, now they bring up another one. And it's like that game at Chuck E. Cheese with the thing that's head bop, you know, it pops up and you hit it with the mallet and then that goes down. Another one pops up over here. That can be extremely frustrating. And most skillful buyers know that sales professionals, we just want to sell something. <laughs> we want to get the sale. And so if I have to give up some points here or there to get this done, uh, I'll do it. And understand how you start a relationship as a rule is how it's going to be. So if you allow them to treat you that way going into the relationship, that's how they're going to treat you throughout the relationship. And as a rule, it will get worse before it gets better. Too many times I've heard uh, sales professionals or business owners say, well, I'll go in at this really deep discount and then I'll make my money back once I get them as a customer. Uh, no, you won't. Nine times out of ten, it's going to get worse because you just taught them how to treat you. You're not going to get your money back. They're going to continue to erode your margins because that's what they do. They're trained to do that. All right. Uh, there's another one called take it or leave it. Uh, and this one is a tricky one. I'm going to talk about take it or leave it when we get to the, uh, the seven deadly buyer tactics, because I've had so much experience with this. It's just not even funny. Uh, another one is no information. Okay, so what, how, they, how this works out is you give them your proposal, and then they say to you, well, this looks good. I tell you what, today is Thursday. Give me a call on Monday, and we'll talk further about this. I'm really pleased with what you've given me. All right, so they've just raised your aspiration level, your expectation level. You're feeling good about this. All right, you go into the weekend feeling good. So you call Monday morning like they asked you to. Then all of a sudden, they don't take your call. They don't take your call. They don't return your call. And all of a sudden, you start getting this funny feeling in the pit of your stomach, like something's wrong. Oh, did something change? Did someone else... Did someone else get in into the account? Is, is, is this in jeopardy? I already told my boss I was going to win this thing. So you call again uh, on Tuesday. They don't take your call. They don't return your call. So on Wednesday, you call twice, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. On Thursday, you call three times. And what they have done is they have created anxiety in you. And you've also let them know you probably don't have that much working and you really need this sale. And that's why in the first show, I said in order to be a good negotiator, if you want to be the best possible negotiator you can be, you should have a full funnel, a full sales pipeline, whatever you want to call it, uh, a, a forecast, whatever you want to call it, it should look pretty doggone good. You want to have a bunch of opportunities that look like this one. So if you lose this one, you know you have others that you can that you can look towards. 
But if you're calling like this, they realize this is very important and you've just given them leverage. Okay. So no information is another technique that's used. Also, let's talk about uh, another one is continual changes of the subject. All right. You, you want to talk about this and they change the subject to something else. So you have to try to bring them back on on point. Uh, that's that's counterproductive. Personal attacks. Now, another thing about negotiations, emotions get involved, involved in, in negotiations. And we want to try to keep emotions out. Now, some of the other the, the people that you'll be negotiating with, the, the other parties, they have been trained and, and skillfully, they know that as sales professionals, business owners, we want to please the client. So if they come across upset, then we, we kind of cower. We, we, uh, we lose our composure. And then people, may, people say some pretty crazy stuff when their money's involved, you know. Uh, and they're saying, you're trying to rob me, you're trying to rip me off. I'm not going to allow you to do this to me. And then we get, we, we go there with them. And what you want to do is maintain your composure when they're saying this. In most cases, I promise you, it's a tactic. And even if it's not a tactic, if they are emotional, you getting emotional with them won't, won't help the situation. You know, you may want to say something to them. You know, Herb, I'm really... Sorry that you feel this way. You know, we have been working together for a long time. And believe it or not, I'm on your side. So let's, let's, but it's going to be difficult for us to work through this if we're talking to each other this kind of way. So can we continue now to work through this to see how we can make both of us feel good about this or should we schedule another appointment? Um, I never believe you should just stand there and take abuse from anyone. Okay, Uh, so personal attacks can happen. Another tactic is name dropping. For example, if you are a sales professional for a large company and they they may know your they may know your boss, they may know your boss's boss, they may know the CEO of the company and they may say, uh, you know what? I know the CEO of your company and I would hate to have to give her a call or him a call and let them know how you're handling this. I would really hate to have to do that. Now, most sales professionals, <laughs> based on the executives, some sales professionals don't want their executives to know they are alive. And the fact or the prospects of their boss getting some negative information on them scares the daylights out of them. So as a result, to keep that from happening, they will concede or give that other person, the other party, what they are looking for. Name dropping. And uh, I had a funny situation happen uh, with a company that I was training. Uh, This guy was trying to name drop with a manager of a a company. This is a large uh, Fortune 500 company. And he said to her, you know, I know, I know uh, your boss. And the name was a name that he mispronounced. It, the way you spell it was not the way you pronounced it. So she knew instantly that he really didn't know the boss. So she said, oh, really, you do know him? Uh, he said, yep, that's right. I know him pretty well. 
so, you know, I, I'd hate to have to give him a call and let him know how this is going. She said, oh, so then you, you do know then also that he left the company nine months ago. <laughs> uh, oh, well, uh, yeah, well, I, I knew that, but I just thought you ought to know. So uh, it, it didn't work in that case for him. Um, another thing is escalating authority. This is another counterproductive behavior. And once again, the goal is to wear you down. Okay, so now you're meeting with the procurement officer and you negotiate. All right, that goes well. So now he says, okay, I just need you to meet with my boss, the director of procurement. Okay, so now you go meet with the director of procurement and then she beats you up. And you work through some things and you think it's done. So now she says, I just need you now to go meet with the vice president of finance. And then they and what they're doing is they are just eroding you. They're wearing you down. They're beating you down. And I think it was Vince Lombardi, former uh, famous coach for the Green Bay Packers. He said fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. So be mindful about the fatigue factor because we just want to get it done and negotiating is a game it's a game of patience so and the goal is to outlast the other person all right and then another one this is a killer tactic and boy it will it it can just defeat you and and deplete you tremendously it's called team manipulations i've seen this happen this has a tendency to happen with really large negotiations, I'm talking about when you're talking about millions of dollars, potentially, okay, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. And I, I saw this happen with one of my clients, and they called me for some feedback on what was going on. But this, these two teams, uh, my client had probably four or five t- people on their team. The, 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 the buyers had four or five people on their team, and they started negotiating at 8 a.m. in the morning. The negotiations went on for from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m., obviously taking breaks and they're meeting with each each other and then they'll come back and re-engage the other party. And then at 11 o'clock, they said, okay, let's break and we'll meet again in the morning. Well, unfortunately, when they came in the morning, my client came back with all of the same members. The other party came back with an entirely new, fresh team. And not only did they have a new, fresh team, they also had some new concerns and new issues that they wanted to add to the pot. And that just really, oh, it deflated uh, my clients because it's like, wow, really? So uh, we're going to take another short break right now and, and continue to talk about counterproductive things and how to cope with them. And we're going to get into the seven deadly buyer tactics when we come back from the break. Okay, so it's time for a short break. You're listening to Forget Patients. Let's sell something with Ty Maynard on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk to you on the other side of the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
we spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in for What About Wealth every week to learn the vital answers to your questions about creating wealth, investing it, donating it, and protecting it. Your hosts are Rich Bloomfield and Rick Durfee, who explain the principles that govern wealth in terms you can understand. Building and preserving positive wealth requires correct action, but few people know how wealth really works. Listen every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and find the answers you need about wealth. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something. If you want to reach Ty Maynard or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can send an email to Ty at TyMaynerGroup.com. That's T-Y-E at T-Y-E-M-A-N-E-R Group.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with Ty Maynard. And we're talking today about counterproductive behaviors that can impact you negatively in the negotiation process that can erode your margins, commissions. It can take money out of your pocket if you're just a consumer. And the tactics and the techniques that you can use in business are also applicable for you to use when you are the buyer as a consumer, okay? So we want to continue to talk about this. And the last counterproductive behavior we were talking about was when they manipulate the team. And I just shared a story with you with one of my clients where an entire team had been switched out overnight. So my team, the team of my client, went back the next day thinking they're going to start fresh you know, and they've won so many things the day before. Now they have a new team that has totally new demands, and it's like yesterday never happened. And, again, that's designed to wear them out. And the one of the things that you're going to have to do in order to be successful in negotiations is not have fear. Have a full funnel. And I guess I'm a little different because I really fear no man. I believe in having uh, a full funnel. I, I I don't have a spirit of poverty. You know, I believe all of my clients, as, as much as I value them, they are resources, but they are not my source. Okay. So uh, if, as much as I want to keep them, if I lose one, I'll just find another one, <laughs> you know, but I'm going to do everything in my power. But at the point they no longer value me or they are trying to erode my margins to the point that it's, it's not good business, then I have to make a decision. And there have been occasions when I have fired a customer because it was no longer good business. So I want us to talk about very quickly at what point 
do you walk away from a negotiation? Okay, and and the bottom line is this. You walk away from a negotiation when one or more parties will lose. And too many times in the past, as as the business owner, as the sales professional, we would much rather the customer feel good while we feel bad. And I I can tell you what's going to happen if you don't make any money on an opportunity your customer is not going to get the best service as a rule. They're they're not going to get the the fastest return phone call as a rule. So in the end, they don't win. And so it's better for you to hang in there and be a better negotiator so that you both walk away and you feel good about what just transpired. You get a win-win. Or in the case of a salesperson, a win-win-win. The sales professional wins. The business wins that they work for, and the customer wins. So when one or more parties will lose, uh, and that may be based on incompatible needs or interests, all right? Uh, I'll give an example. <clears throat> I had a, when I first started my business, I had a customer say to me, they, they called me, my business is brand new, probably three months old, and believe me, I needed business. I always need business, but boy, being brand new, I needed business. This this guy left a voicemail and he said, "Hey, Ty, I heard great things about your training. Uh, you have a great reputation. We're interested in, in having you train our entire sales force. <clears throat> I understand your training is two days. Um, you need to cut your two day training into a half a day, and uh, give me a call back and we will talk about how we and we'd like to hire you for five days." All right, so I, I called him back and I said, "Okay, I appreciate your call. Now tell me more about this. You said that you you want me to make a two day training program, a half a day program. Yep, that's right." I said, "Okay, do you mind if I ask why?" And he said, "Ty, I have some very aggressive sales professionals, and Ty, they chew up and spit out trainers like you. You wouldn't last a day with them. So you need to make your two-day program a half a day. And I say, you know, you know, Mr. Jones, I can appreciate you feel your, your sales professionals have ADD. Many of the other business owners and executives I work with feel the exact same way. It's just that we have found the program works the best. You will get the greatest results and they'll get the greatest outcome if we do it over two days. And he said, well, obviously, I haven't made myself clear, Ty. If you don't convert it into a half a day, um, you won't get any of our business. And I said, wow, okay. Wow. Well, since you put it like that, it's clear to me what I need to do then. He said, okay, very good. I thought you would come to terms. I said, Mr. Jones, I, I really appreciate your call. And it's unfortunate that we won't be able to do business at this time. However, hopefully we will in the future. And he said to me, he said, Ty, he said, are you walking away from five days worth of business? I said, no, sir, I'm not walking away from the business. I'm walking away from compromising the quality of work I'll provide to you and your company and your people. Because I know you won't be happy with the outcome if I do what you're asking me to do. Now, because I I stood my ground, he conceded. He was used to people just caving in and giving him what he wanted. And then I would be teaching him how to treat me. Secondly, this company was a big company. Everybody in North America knew who this company was. 
And he had a lot of connections. So I knew if I dissected my program <laughs> to take a two-day program and turn it into a half-a-day program, I knew at the end of it, the people were going to walk out of that workshop saying, what the heck was that we just sat through? Because it was going to be so mishmashed and mixed and matched that it wasn't going to make sense. So therefore, my represent, my reputation would have been tainted. And my reputation is everything <laughs> to my business, to my brand. So if I had given him what he wanted, we both would have lost. But because he allowed me to work my magic over the two days, the benefits they received were amazing. So you walk away sometimes when both parties will lose. And in that case, we would both lose. Sometimes you also walk away to preserve the relationship, to preserve the relationship. I had a client call me one time and they wanted me to talk to their distributors and do a workshop to their distributors on the backroom operation of running a business, a dealership. It was an office furniture. Okay, I have several businesses, and I think I do a great job of running them. I understand how business operates. I just never uh, talk to office furniture dealers about their backroom operation. My strength is in gaining customers, teaching people how to sell, and keeping customers how to provide exceptional customer service. So if I stepped out on that limb for the sake of making some money and I did not deliver, once again, I would have hindered my brand. I would have not performed or delivered for my client. So at that point, I walked away from it. That was not my strength. And I think sometimes for the sake of money, we jump out and try to do things that's not in our lane. We, we need to stay in our lane, okay? I'm not saying don't try anything new, but if it's so tremendously different than things that you've done in the past, you may not want to do that. <laughs> you may not want to do it. So what I did was I gracefully bowed out, but I gave them the names of two or three individuals who were, their expertise was finance. And as a matter of fact, their expertise were finance in working with dealerships. So they would serve them much better. So in doing that, I preserved the relationship and they appreciated the value that I brought by bringing someone to them that could do an exceptional job. So now that's you may walk away to preserve the relationship. And let's talk about this very quick. And I, I got a feeling we're going to run into another week with this course uh, because I haven't even gotten to the biotactics yet. Uh, but that's that's what I want to get to you. So I may be able to get into a couple, but we may have to come back with this. All right. Um, so and the other reason you want to walk away when it's not a negative action, but sometimes you may have to walk away even if it's perceived as a negative action. I had a customer that called me and they wanted me to bid on an opportunity. And when I looked at the bid, there was no chance. Really, based on my knowledge of, of my industry at the time, there was literally no chance of winning this bid. Uh, they were. It looked as though they were using me to keep someone honest. They had a third party that was overseeing the operation. And uh, I respectfully no-bidded it. 
And they came back to me and asked me why. And I said, well, based on the specifications of this, I don't have a chance to win. And they said, yes, you do. I said, no, I don't think so, because the the incumbent has been with them 15 years. This specification is their specification. Uh, and what you're asking me to do to, to turn this around is unrealistic. So it turned out I was right. Uh, they had a couple other people no bid. One, two other companies did participate, and the incumbent ended up winning as we thought they would. So just be mindful. There are times when you have to walk away, and, and it's easier to walk away when you have a full pipeline. Okay, when you know what your walkaway point is. In many cases, we don't know what our walkaway point is. We hadn't, we hadn't identified that, so we stay in too long, and we end up in the basement of our profits. All right, so we're going to try to get into a, uh, a couple of the buyer tactics this show, and we have to come back and continue with it in the next show. Uh, but one of the ones I want to talk about, oh, it's time for a break. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and take our last break of the, of the show, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, a couple of the, the buyer tactics like the bogey and the, the take it or leave it. All right, so it's time for our final break. This is Ty Maynard, and you're listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with Ty Maynard on the Voice America Business Channel. Stay tuned. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the way we do banking today continues to evolve no longer is it just brick and mortar locations or traditional bankers hours today banking is 24 7 it's in the home it's on the go it's digital tune in to breaking banks with brett king for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust Changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Our workplace is dynamically changing. How do you stay ahead of the curve with respect to learning and training? Tune in every week to The Future of Workforce Learning and Development with host Pamela Robinson. You'll learn about real-world strategies, solutions, and resources that will showcase these changes and keep you ready for what's next. The Future of Workforce Learning and Development is heard live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something. If you want to reach Time Maynard or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can send an email to Ty at TyMaynerGroup.com. That's T-Y-E at T-Y-E-M-A-N-E-R Group.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, 
Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with Ty Maynard. And we're talking about ninja strategies for successfully handling the seven deadly buyer tactics. And I needed to share some of the other counterproductive behaviors with you at first uh, before we got into these. So that would kind of set the foundation for coping with these. Uh, we're going to run this into a second show, obviously, uh, next week. But I want to get into a couple at least and, and, and share some examples of how to work with them. One of the, the first ones I want to talk about is uh, the bogey. The bogey is when the customer says to you, I only have budgeted this amount for this project. Now, how many times have you heard this, especially when your solution or your service costs more? Obviously, this is a terrible predicament for the seller and shows why qualifying on the front end is so important or this will come back and bite you on the back end. All right. The surprising aspect of the bogey is that sellers will oftenly we'll often bring this on ourselves because the buyer or the engineer or whoever asked the seller for an estimated cost months before the final design or the quantity is determined. And because we are so anxious to please, we state a figure that's usually pretty low and therefore we boxed ourselves into a corner. All right. Now, the buyer incorporates this amount into their budget request and then the prices are submitted. And and by the way, they continue to talk to you. So they are adding this feature and this component. And all of a sudden, now the number is much higher than they budgeted. So they'll come back to you. And what they'll say is, hey, you know what? You, this is more than we budgeted. We've already gone to uh, the party, the powers that be, and we've asked for this amount, and we are not, we can't go back and ask for more. So, what are you going to do about this? You know, after all, how can you get hostile about someone who likes you and your product? They expect you now to solve their problem. And in many cases, I'm telling you, this is a tactic. Okay, so all that remains between you and closing this sale is a bit of some problem solving. And the negotiation now will move away from a competitive uh, point of view to one of cooperation. Help us make this happen. All right? So now understand this. Most budgets are flexible. As a matter of fact, when I have interviewed buyers and procurement officers for the sake of my negotiation courses that I, I, I deliver, buyers have told me that they automatically, whatever number you give them, they automatically add another 10 to 15% to that number. So they've covered themselves for any changes, incidental changes, but they don't tell you that. All right. So the buyers are flexible. Uh, excuse me. The budgets are flexible. And understand this also. The most important number on any budget is that bottom line number. OK, that bottom line number. That's the number that really can't change. But there are line items 
And those numbers are adjustable. You can take a little bit from line item number one and add that to line item number three. You can take a little bit from line item number six and add that to line item number three. All right. So when they tell you that it's um, it's impossible, you it's all on you. My recommendation is to be prepared to to have an answer, if at all possible. All right. Um, and also an alternative configuration or delivery or a way you can package your product before you even come to the negotiation. This is a part of the preparation and the planning. And I'm going to share an example on the bogey of how I dealt with it with a company that wanted me to speak. It was a, it was a not-for-profit organization. And I, and based on what type of organization, uh, I'll, I'll try to have some flexibility, if, if at all possible. Sometimes I can't. You know, uh, but this company, uh, this organization, rather, uh, wanted me to speak at a, a luncheon. They were going to have a thousand people there, and they told me what they wanted the outcome to be of the speech. And I said, "Okay, all right, I, I'm confident I can deliver that for you." And they said, um, "Okay, so what's your fee for a speaking?" And I told them, <laughs> "I told them." They asked, right? I told them, and uh, as a matter of fact, I guess they thought I was pretty proud of it. But they said, ooh, they say, well, that's a problem. I said, okay, well, why is that a problem? They said, because we've only budgeted this amount, and it was a much lower amount. And I said, ooh. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, I'm sure there's a way for us to work through this if we can just put our heads together. I said, okay, so tell me the event again. She told me the event. I said, how many people? They said 1,000 people. I said, okay, all right. Uh, I said, what are, you going, what are you serving for the meal? And they said, well, you're serving uh, chicken. I said, okay, can't do much with chicken. I said, well, what about dessert? What are you doing for dessert? They said, we have key lime pie. I said, key lime pie. I said, that's a very expensive dessert. I said, did you realize that probably 60, maybe even 70% of the people won't even eat it? So it's just going to sit there and get thrown away, and that was wasted money? I said, it might be better if we consider... Uh, a less expensive dessert and then take the extra and add that to the speaking budget. And we can, you, you can get someone that can make a difference in their lives. So believe it or not, uh, we changed it from a key lime pie to, I don't know, it may have been a fruit cup. I can't really remember. Uh, and believe it or not. So we use that money to increase the speaker budget, that line item. And then I say, you know, there are, they're probably um, companies, because this is such a worthy call, that would like to be philanthropists toward this and be sponsors of this. And I say, you guys probably can think of someone right now that may be willing to help. And while we were on the phone in that conference call, they came up with three or four companies that they could contact to help sponsor it that they hadn't even considered. So part of our job as negotiators is to always try to figure out a way for both parties to win and get what they want. I wanted my fee. They wanted me to speak. So now we needed to figure out a way to make that happen. And once again, our time is up. I hope you've gleaned some ideas on how to negotiate better, 
how to protect your margins, how to improve your commissions, okay, and how to better serve the customer. Because when we both feel good about the outcome of something, uh, it's just a better situation. Everybody's happy. Uh, also, I just want to remind you that I have an audio CD package on this exact thing. I can't cover as much on the show, obviously, but I have a four CD package on my online store on my website, Ty Maynard Group. And dot com. So tymainergroup.com. Go to the tab that says online store. And I have an audio CD package titled Don't Take It on the Chin. Negotiate a Win-Win. It's chock full. Four CDs that's chock full of tips, tactics, techniques that you can drive around and listen to. It gives you a lot of key insight and information that can help you in your negotiation skills. If you're doing this day in and day out, you have to get better at it. And you need to invest in yourself. And as well as the four CDs, we also have a workbook in it, all right, that has additional information on how to use the tactics. So I I want you to go to timeinagroup.com, online store, and get an order, or place an order for it. Don't take it on the chin. Negotiate a win-win. And as usual, you've p- participated again in the fastest hour of the week. We're going to continue this last, uh, excuse me, this next week where I'm going to get into the other six deadly buyer tactics. And I'm going to share with you exactly how to counter them. All right. Have your pen and pad ready. Tell others about the show so they can also enhance their skills and everybody can make more money. So I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. But in the meantime, in the meantime, forget patience. Let's sell something. Talk to you soon. Thanks again for tuning in to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something. Ty Maynard will be back next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We look forward to you joining us then. In the meantime, forget patience, let's sell something.